0: We pray, Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Send your Holy Spirit to us this morning, Lord, to work through your word to build our faith and to equip us to live and to walk with you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, once upon a time, there was a little girl named Little Red Riding Hood. She's named that because of a particular item of clothing that she had, which was, in fact, a Red Riding Hood. But Little Red Riding Hood had been given an important mission. Do any of our kids know what Little Red Riding Hood's mission was? Finley knows. So, the mission of Little Red Riding Hood was to carry a basket of delicious baked goods to her grandma's house, right? Her grandma was old and sick and in bed. So Little Red Riding Hood was on a mission to deliver these delicious baked goods. And in order to accomplish that mission, she was going to have to pass through a path in the woods all by herself. So before she left her mother gave her a very important instruction. It was one instruction, but it was real important. The instruction was stay on the path. Do not wander off. Do not look for shortcuts. Do not go picking flowers. Stay on the path. Go straight to Grandma's house. Don't get distracted on the way. But, in case you're familiar with this fairy tale, I think maybe many of you are, you know what happened on the way is that Little Red Riding Hood got distracted. She got distracted by a very friendly seeming wolf. And the wolf encouraged her that maybe her grandmother would like to have some of those pretty flowers that were growing by the path. And so Little Red Riding Hood wandered off and she picked some flowers and then she saw a little bit further there were some prettier flowers. So she went and got them and then she saw a little bit further there were some even prettier flowers and she was getting further and further off the path. And as she was picking all of those flowers and comparing them, what was Little Red Riding Hood not doing? She was not going towards Grandma's house. You know who was going towards Grandma's house was now the wolf, heading ahead of Little Red Riding Hood. I'm going to cut off the fairy tale there and leave you wondering about the ending. Those of you that know how it ends, you know that it is, in the end, a happy ending. But you also know that a lot of unpleasantness could have been avoided if Little Red Riding Hood had just stayed on the path like she's supposed to. So this concept, stay on the path, it's a common theme in fairy tales. And you could understand why, because what fairy tales were written for really is to encourage children to obey their parents and to listen and to be careful and to warn children of the dangers that might happen if they don't listen. But this warning, this encouragement, stay on the path, it's not just for fairy tales, and it's not just for kids. In fact, as we walk through our sermon text today from 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to see that the concept of stay on the path makes a great theme for any Christian who is traveling through this world on the road towards heaven. And it's important, isn't it, that we say it just like that, that we are traveling through this world on the road towards heaven. Because this is a key point. This world is not our permanent home. right? This world is just a temporary stop along the way until we get to where we're actually going. It's very important for us to remember that because that frames the way that we view our life in this world. The goal of our life in this world is not to make ourselves as comfortable as possible... The goal is simply to make it safely through to the place where we're actually going, right? So to help us visualize this, I I was trying to find an analogy and then I just thought of traveling in an airplane. So if you were designing an environment that was going to be optimally comfortable for people, if you were going to design an environment where people could relax and have fun and enjoy one another's company, you probably wouldn't design A long, narrow cabin with a low ceiling where everyone's facing the same direction, crammed into seats with seat belts fastened and tray tables in an upright and locked position. It's not the most comfortable way to sit for two or three hours. But it's okay. Like, it works for a little while until you get to the place where you're actually going. And so it is for life in this sin-broken world. It's not ideal. It's not comfortable. But it works for a while until we get to the place where we're actually going, which is the eternal life that God has prepared in heaven for all of those who trust in him. Now, airplanes had not been invented at the time of Abraham. But he understood this concept very well. And so did Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and the different Old Testament believers. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are reminded of the the viewpoint of those individuals. In that chapter we read, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, at least not yet in this world. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were looking for a better country, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, the ancient believers recognized that this sin-broken world was never going to be ideal, and very rarely was it going to be comfortable. But the goal was not maximum comfort right now. The goal was just to make it through to the eternal world that God has promised to all those who trust in him. And it's the same thing for us. Right? Still today, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so that means that we are following Jesus to a homeland that we've never been to yet. To a treasure that we've never laid eyes on yet. To an eternity that we can't even visualize yet. But we do know this world is not our permanent home. And so our goal in this world is not to make ourselves as comfortable as possible, it's rather to make it safely through and get to the place where we're actually going. So, we know this, and you know this. And yet, as we walk the path through this world, we also recognize there are many, many distractions along the way. There are many flowers that we could pick. Right? There are many opportunities for us to step off the path just a little bit and then go a little bit further and then go just a little bit further and then even a little bit further until we look back and all of a sudden we can't even see the path anymore. There are lots and lots of distractions along the way. So we could talk for a long time about what those distractions are. I mean, we could probably have a whole sermon series listing potential distractions from the path of faith. In our sermon text... Paul focuses on one specific distraction, and it is this. It is the opportunity to compile a bunch of things, money and possessions, and to maybe accumulate a bunch of comfort all in this life. And maybe we look at this, maybe you look at this, and you're thinking, that's just not my temptation. That's not, that's not going to be a thing for me. I understand this is a thing for other people, but it's not going to be a thing for me. If we're thinking this couldn't be a thing for us, we need to think again. Paul says, watch out. This is one of the most dangerous traps along the path. And he doesn't mince his words. Here is how he says it. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's pretty strong words. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. If we think it couldn't happen to us, we need to think again. It's happened before. It's going to keep happening. The desire to compile money and stuff has a very real ability to lead Christians away from God or maybe to... Pull us away from God altogether. Now what's kind of ironic about this is that money and possessions and things and comfort in this world are not bad things in and of themselves. They are blessings. They're gifts from God. God wants to have us be somewhat comfortable as we travel through this temporary world. And so God gives us things because he loves us. He gives us things to take care of us. It says at the end of the text that God richly provides for our enjoyment. So money and possessions are not bad things. Beautiful flowers growing next to a path are not bad things. But if we become so obsessed with them that we develop an unhealthy desire for accumulating them and we stop even walking down the path and we're now totally distracted, then they have become for us a bad thing. So Paul describes that, and you kind of notice the careful wording that he uses. He doesn't say, money is the root of all evil. Because that's not true. Money is a gift from God. But he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He goes on, you know, it's not wrong to be rich. It's a gift from God. But those who want to get rich could fall into temptation and a trap. You think of the different ways to get rich or the different unethical shortcuts that we might take. They could be plunged into ruin and destruction. They could even wander from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. One more time, if we think it could never happen to us, we're mistaken. And we think through kind of this play-by-play of how it could happen, that the more money and stuff and comfort you accumulate in this world, the more this world starts to feel like home. And what do you do with your home? You want to make it a place where you can be happy. You want to add some things and some comfort and some goodness, so then you add some more, and then this world really starts to feel like home. And now you want to really add some more things to it and optimize your existence and make it really the way that you would like it to be. And and now it really feels like home, and it's just this cycle that keeps on going. And unless there's an intervention, our whole life could be consumed by just gathering more and more things and packing our life full of more and more comfort trying to arrange our life so it is as perfect and comfortable as humanly possible. We had all of our things. But it's so silly because nobody lives forever. Eventually, we're going to die. And when we do, we can't take any of our earthly possessions with us. It was all just temporary all along. And we know this. And yet, we are still tempted to just keep compiling and compiling and compiling and getting more than we had yesterday, and getting more than the people around us, and getting far more than we will ever actually need. And if our sole focus of life is compiling and compiling and compiling, you notice what we're no longer doing. We're no longer walking on the path, not towards Grandma's house, but towards our heavenly home. We've become distracted. We're sitting here on the side compiling and arranging everything as though we are going to be here for the long haul. Even though we know we're not going to be here for the long haul. The day of our death is eventually going to come. And on that day, if we have oriented our entire existence around temporary things, then we're going to enter eternity without anything. And then we will indeed be pierced with many griefs. So we know that it's foolish to orient our whole existence around temporary things like money and stuff. We know this. And yet, we find ourselves doing it anyway. And that can be true if we have a lot of things, and that can be true if we have almost no things. We continually find ourselves orienting our whole life around how many things we can accumulate. So what is the solution? How can we avoid this very dangerous trap and this obstacle? How can we stay on the path? How can we make it to heaven? There's only one answer to all those questions. The answer is we need Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews says it like this, Let us throw off everything that hinders and all the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How are we going to do that? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's kind of like that children's message with the now extremely popular horse on a stick, right? That when you're focused in the wrong spot, you can't balance it, you're wandering, you're wobbling, but when your eyes are fixed where they should be, you can stand. In the same way as Christians, there's so many distractions, there's so... If you looked at our path, it would be one of these wandering little paths all over while the path God wants us on is going straight. Uh, But when we look at Jesus and fix our eyes on him, then we can run with perseverance the race that he has marked out for us. So fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I wanted to take like two minutes this morning, maybe one minute for each, And just talk about these two words. What does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith? Quite simply, it means that Jesus started it. Jesus went first. He entered this broken world before we were ever born. A world full of distractions and obstacles and temptations. And he walked a perfectly straight path, never deviating from his goal. And he suffered some terrible things. He suffered death on the cross for us but he always kept in mind that eternal goal of sitting at his father's right hand and not just him sitting there but us sitting there because we are forgiven by his death and our sins are covered over by his perfect life what Jesus did in this world provides forgiveness for us for all the times we've gotten pulled off of our path for all the times that we've gotten distracted So that's the pioneer part. Jesus went first, before we were even born. But then comes the perfecter part. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. And what that means is not only did Jesus start it, he's going to finish it. This is a specific Greek word, and the picture that is in here is being completed and brought to its goal. And Jesus is going to complete your faith and bring it to its goal. The goal being eternal life in heaven. Jesus is going to bring you there. So this is really important. As we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus and staying focused, this is an incredibly important point. Jesus did not go first, perfectly walk the straight line. Now he stands at the end and he says, your turn, if you can make it to the end, I'll celebrate with you. That's not what he does. Not only has Jesus perfectly walked in our place already, but now he says, I'm going to walk with you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as we go through life, Jesus is with us, holding our hand and encouraging us. And sometimes, like we might do for our kids, calling out quite strongly for us to get back onto the path and focus where we're going. So that's kind of what Jesus does in our sermon text today. He calls out to us. He gives us encouragement to stay on the path and to keep moving forward. He says it like this, But you, man of God, flee from all of this, the temptations, the distractions, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Probably referring to Timothy's baptism when he stood before a congregation and entered the Christian faith. So Paul is reminding Timothy, and Jesus is reminding us of where our focus should be. He's calling us back onto the path, and he's encouraging us forward. And here then is kind of the end point of our sermon text. As you walk with Jesus, and as you're avoiding distractions, you're staying on the path, making your way towards the eternal life in heaven, you start to realize that the path is not so boring after all. In fact, there are some beautiful flowers growing on the path that aren't growing anywhere else, at least not in the same way. Flowers like righteousness and godliness. The idea that as we follow God, he molds us to start to think like him. Not perfectly, but a little bit, even now in this sin-broken world. And there's flowers like faith and endurance. And that's the idea that when your life gets really, really hard, with the perspective of heaven surely coming, you're able to make it through some things that you wouldn't be able to make it through otherwise. And there's also flowers like love and gentleness towards other people. That instead of boxing everybody out, like our world does, to compile as much as I can for myself, instead in gentleness and love, we're helping other people. And we're leading other people, hopefully towards the path that leads to something so much better than all of the money and possessions and comfort that this world has to offer. right? So this is the beautiful thing about walking with Jesus, is the more we stay on the path, the more we realize we're not missing out on things we could have. Instead, we're now appreciating the things that we actually do have including spiritual blessings like endurance and faith and gentleness, but also including earthly blessings like money and possessions and comfort. Because now that we have everything in the proper perspective, look at how Paul talks about those things. It's a blessing to have wealth. So Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world to view it correctly. Not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So, Following Jesus does not necessarily mean saying goodbye to all the pleasures of this world. Instead, following Jesus means getting to actually enjoy the pleasures of this world in the way that they are supposed to be enjoyed, instead of letting them occupy an unhealthy place in your heart and in your mind. Instead, the top place in your heart and in your mind is reserved for true treasure, like your relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Like your relationship with each other, right? Because while this whole world is passing away, our relationships are not. As children of God, the relationships we make now will last eternally. And finally, there's even the true treasure of getting to lead new people away from the distractions and temptations of this temporary world and bringing them to walk with us on this path that leads towards heaven. So, Jesus has been saying this to us all the month of June in our sermon series, and today he says it to us one more time. He says, follow me. Follow me. It's not always going to be an easy walk. But don't be afraid. Follow me, Jesus says. Fix your eyes on me, and I will lead you home. God will bring it about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. And he is the one who has promised to lead you home. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus your Savior. Amen.